forever and ever. It's a long, long time. The way our mind can imagine it, forever is forever, right? When I was in first grade, forever was morning worship in the classroom where you have to sit still and be quiet until I learned I could use the time to count the sequins on Mrs. Arakawa's dress. I could never get all the way through before worship was over. over. Forever and ever when I was in academy, still morning worship in the classroom. Only by then we've learned to sort of put our hands in our head and pretend we're listening while we're really asleep. Forever and ever. By the time I was in college, Walla Walla College, I happened to be well, forever and ever again, worship in the church. The chapel, they called it then, and I was one of those who took tickets, an attendance taker at chapel. And obviously, I'm not the only one who thought chapel was forever and ever, based upon the amount of students who bribed me to take their attendance cards, even while they skip out the back door. Forever and ever in church, now as adults, let me just ask you, sound good to you? Forever and ever doing this? Don't answer until 12.30. Forever and ever, really? When I was growing up, I remember somebody in our church saying, heaven is going to be like this, so if you don't like this, church, singing, preaching, the Bible, you're not going to like heaven. And I remember thinking, I might be in trouble. This could be a problem. Forever and ever. Elisa, our youngest daughter, asked me yesterday afternoon, Mommy, are you done with your sermon for tomorrow? I said, yeah. She said, how many pages is it? Eight, sweetie. Eight? Are you going to read them all? Do we have to listen to all of that? Forever and ever? I never go over five. Don't worry, Lise. Five. <sighs> Forever and ever seen we have in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 this morning. Forever and ever, can you imagine yourself doing this? It's an interesting question, and, and, and if you've been here the last two weeks, we only touched down on two churches. This letter, to, to the, to the, this letter we call Revelation is written really to seven churches in the area of Asia Minor. We just touched on two of the churches, and that's all we'll take time to do, and we hope that in the meantime you'll read the rest because all seven together give us a composite picture of, of characteristics that are vital for us today. We last week touched down on Laodicea with Pastor Isaac, and if you remember the way that ends in chapter 3, there is a door. The door is closed, and Christ is standing at the door knocking. It's essentially, church, will you let me in? It's a, an amazing picture. Christ on the outside of the door asking the church, are you going to let me in or not? And now, in Revelation 4, as the scene quickly moves from earth and these real-life churches up to heaven, it is another door up in heaven. Now this door is open. It's an amazing juxtaposition, a closed door and an opening door. And, and Laodicea was told, if you would open the door, I'll let you sit on the throne. You have a place to be seated with me forever and ever. And, and it's a, as if they were just told, and now John is just shown, and the sky opens and here's here's what the revelator reveals after this i looked
And there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet, the same voice all through here, Come, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white. They had crowns of gold on their, their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, crystal clear. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. The fourth was flying like an eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, forever and ever, they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and, and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and, and have their being in you. Beginning with chapter 4 and moving all the way through chapter 7, it's a throne that begins this cycle of visions. Really the second vision for John, but it's a cycle of visions. It begins with a throne in 4, ends with a throne in 7. I wonder if John was as eager as we are today to see, well, what's next? Because the voice invites him, says, come up here, let me show you what must take place. And I wonder if John is anything like us, because I think we've taught ourselves to read Revelation this way. Well, what's next? Well, what comes next? And then what happens? And, and we jump from thing to thing, from event to event. And, and we're at a scene this morning where we'll, we'll have to pause. We'll do better to step back and and instead of with binoculars, look with the naked eye at what happens next. There is a better way to read Revelation than to move from event to event to event and, and sort of check things off on our own list, our own timeline, counting down to this grand day of the Lord. There is a better way for us as a church to read this material. I wonder if John felt like us. Well, well what's next? Well, well, what happens next? We're just so eager. What's next? And it's good for us to remember that this timeline in Revelation is, is not that linear. It's not that straightforward. It isn't got up in the morning, went to work, you know, the kids grew, somebody got married, somebody got sick, someone died, someone inherited the lottery. And the, it's not linear like that. Things happen on top of each other, the timeline in Revelation. So yes, while you're looking at this view on earth, the churches are being persecuted and these horrible things are happening, this horrible time of persecution for Christians. And then the scene moves like we have this morning to heaven. This is not all in a linear fashion. It's as if, yeah, let me show you what this looks like up here. And while this is going on up here, stuff is still happening down below. 
You, we can't tell because the lens has moved, but that's indeed what's going on in the churches in Asia Minor. When Dr. Bob said, I just came home from Australia, I've been gone a couple of weeks, a camp meeting in New South Wales. The, the kangaroos are not a big deal for them, but they sure are for those of us who travel. And I spent a couple days at Avondale before going up to camp meeting so I could see Brittany Kohler and try and find Jonathan. And they took me to the sanitarium, a mental hospital actually, not the sanitarium. Sanitarium is where you get your good food, folks. Wheat Bix come from the sanitarium. Never forget it. I've just done 12 days of Wheat Bix. It's not Wheat Bix, it's Wheat Bix. Had enough. Had enough. <laughs> Kangaroos are not a big deal for them. They took me to this mental hospital. It's an old state mental hospital just close to the college. You've got to feed the kangaroos. And as far as you can see, at dawn and at dusk, the kangaroos cover. They've taken over the estate there. Who cares if there are sick patients inside? It's, it's all about the kangaroos. And, and we step over and through a fence, which looked to me like it was there for a reason, but you just go right on through until you come face to face with the kangaroos. And, and you take a bag of bread and you begin to feed them. And and they're, they're adorable. They come this close, and the closer they come, you can see the little joeys hanging out of the pouches upside down and all, all twisted and falling out and climbing back up and in. And we just did our thing feeding these kangaroos. Somebody actually came by and said, what are you feeding them? We said, bread. They said, you're not supposed to do that. And the couple who took me from Avondale said, we've been feeding these kangaroos bread for 30 years. She said, oh, no, don't do that. They choke and die on bread. And she drove away, and the lady said to me, we've been feeding them for 30 years. And as soon as that guard was gone, a kangaroo goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> don't feed them bread. <laughs> they can choke and die. You're standing this close, and they're absolutely precious, but what you can't tell by this view of the camera, what the lens is not revealing, is what is going on beside and behind. And I'm sorry, you'll have to see a blurry picture. The more I tried to capture it, the worse I got because there were these large male kangaroos who were having a fight. And they're huge. Their tails are thick and wide. And, and they stand up taller than this. They all the way extend themselves on, if you call those feet, they extend themselves up on them. And then they take their tail and push up even further until they're as big and tall. And they take a breath and they get all inflated. They're just massive, what was all hunched over. They stand up and then they kind of beat at themselves and begin to fight. And what you can't see when we're feeding these precious little ones is that right beside us, are, here come these lumbering, huge, massive males. And I learn now that is why there's a fence. They can take you out. I talked to a woman at camp meeting who said, oh, don't, don't do that. One got me in a headlock once and took me to the ground. Good to know. Danger. You can't tell when the camera is this direction. The same thing with, I learned after I got in the country. You know, they invite you to these great places, and then you get there, and they say, oh, by the way, 139 varieties of snakes. Probably the 10 most deadliest snakes live, live here with us. Talk about feeling like forever as I counted down nights I had to sleep there. <laughs> so while I was in the country, you may have read the story here, uh, someone was bit by this, not this, but one like this, a death adder, in the top five deadliest snakes in the world. He thought it was a lizard. 
and they say only the tourists are dumb enough to do this. He reached down and picked it up and flicked it out of his way. Didn't realize it was a death adder. Bit him five times in the arm, and then he had a heart attack. Air lifted him to Sydney. He's okay. You can't tell that down there in the grass. It's just because it's beautiful. Go to Sydney Adventist Hospital. You're in the rainforest, right? All these little ravines and beautiful smells and birds and sights, and it's the rainforest. But if you if you don't have the lens focused the right way, you don't know danger is right beside you. And in Revelation, you need to think of those kinds of lenses functioning. Because while John takes his eyes off of earth to go to heaven and see what's being revealed up there, the Christians down below really are being persecuted. They really are being put to death. They really are being rolled in tar and stuck up on a torch, impaled on a torch and being posted in the middle of the village and lit on fire. And the emperor will say to them, there, now go be the light of the world, you Christians you imagine? They really are being sewn alive inside of animal skins and thrown out to the wild dogs to be eaten. That is the real life chronology and that is how history is being lived out there. But up in heaven, something else is happening. And it's good for us to remember the scenes sort of fold over top of each other in heaven. John's just been told, this is what's happened. There's a throne. And around the throne, which radiates with jewels, and, and there's jasper, and all of these precious gems are mentioned, and, and there's lightning, and there's thunder. Oh, this would mean something to John's people. That's a theof what we call a theophany. That's the presence of God being made known. Like at Sinai with thunder and lightning and, and sounds and flashes. Something is happening around the throne, and there's a rainbow. We know about rainbows from Noah, don't we? A promise of something is unfolding around the throne. Well, that there's more because the sea of glass, a sea of glass? They know about waters, but they're usually chaotic, like at creation. And, and when God says, let there be, and he makes land and he separates those chaotic waters. And the water beasts, they know the stories about the monsters that are in this chaotic sea. But around this throne, there's, there's an ocean that's like glass. It's even better than than the water, the brass water out in front of Solomon's temple. All of these words would mean something to them. And then they see 24 seated around the throne, probably a representation of those who have done ministry, those who have lived for this kingdom. And they're in white garments and they wear crowns, not crowns like the emperor wears. Different kind of word here. These are crowns victorious for a different reason. 24 of them seated all around and they have their own thrones. They've been given their own thrones, but that's not all. There are these four living creatures with wings and cherubim and seraphim. And yes, that would sound familiar from Isaiah's vision and other places in the Old Testament. And, and, and those creatures also sing. Every kind of living creature represented domestic and wild and birds of the air. It is to say everything that this creator created is now present around the throne. And the most fascinating of all, there is the throne. And while Ezekiel can name one like a, a man is on the throne, the revelator can't do that. The revelator just says there's light coming from the throne. There's something amazing but can't even describe it, won't even put it into words that, that we could understand. And all of this will sound to the people, the churches in Asia Minor, like a grand scene, unusual. And they bow. It says they get off of their thrones and they take, take their, 
their crowns off and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, which was a title some of the emperors insisted people use for the Roman emperors. You are worthy. They put their crown down and they sing to this one, this one seated up here, not the one who roams around Rome, the one seated on this throne is worthy. It's, it's an amazing scene and we are right in the middle, I believe, of the most significant component of Revelation. The most significant theology in the entire book is right here in chapters 4 and 5. While we don't understand everything in the book, we better not miss this one because there is a power struggle going on and it's being described in our text today. Someone is seated on the throne emitting light. There's all this brightness. And, and the next thing that happens is there's a scroll. There's a scroll with seven seals that tells us it's valid, it's important, it's the word of God, and it's, it's to the right of God or in the right hand of God, to the right of the throne. And, and we can tell by the way it's described, this is important and people need to know what's inside and it is coming from God and, and they want to know what's inside. And the text tells us, Revelation 5, verse 4, I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David? He's triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. I don't know exactly why John weeps. He sees the scroll. He desperately wants to know what's inside, how things will unfold. What is the will of God for all this that's happening on earth? And he weeps. Does he weep because he realizes this is beyond us? We need somebody to open the scroll. Does he weep because he sees no hope? I don't know exactly why he weeps, but now he's told, Why are you weeping? There is a lion. He can open it. And many authors who write say, probably what happens here is lost on us. There is a lion, a lion from the tribe of Judah. This is coming from David. Lions are warriors. They're vicious. They'll conquer. They'll get them. They'll get them. There is someone, a lion there for you. If you've ever needed a savior, if you've ever needed to be rescued, a lion is good news, isn't it? Someone bigger and badder than what's in front of you. It's a lion. John must be thrilled. A lion came to his rescue. If you've ever needed an ambulance or the police, you make the call and they show up. Don't you just say, praise God, help is here. If you've ever found yourself in a desperate situation, thank you, I needed to be rescued. When I was growing up, I have, I have a younger brother I mentioned to you. He's just eight months younger than I am, which is a great story in itself. He was, he was my little brother until we were about two, would you say, Bonnie? And, and then he became my bigger little brother, which is critical. What you really need is a bigger little brother. And I found in school, as we would go, go around school, and I would make my messes and get into trouble, all I had to do is look at my big little brother. Like a, like a lion, he'd just puff up. You got problems with her, you'll have to take it up with me. It's just great. Any problem you can get into, you just, Lee, get them. Everybody needs someone like that, don't you? And one day, I, someone was calling me names. I don't know how it started, but all, all I know is I heard the line, gentlemen, only you guys say this line. Oh, yeah, well, let's take it out back after school. 
so cool. And we don't say it. We come and watch. And sure enough, the whole junior high is out there. Everyone's watching what's going to happen. And my little, big little brother, the lion, he gets him in a headlock and he noogies him and he throws him to the ground and knee and elbow. And, and all of a sudden, the guy on the ground, I give, you win, you win. And I say, yeah, the lion got him. A rescuer, a, a savior. We, we all want that. Somebody to get them. And so John hears, there's a lion who can take this scroll and open it. Oh, what good news. And the very next thing in the text, John is directed, look, look and see for yourself. Then I saw a what? A lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which is to say, he has it all. I saw this. A lamb? And the authors tell us, can you people today even understand? They were expecting a lion and they got a lamb. It's not even a healthy lamb. It's a lamb who's been slain. It's an injured lamb. It's a, it's a wounded lamb. And if you're John, would you weep again? I thought you said a lion. That's not a lion. That's a lamb. Very special word for a creature only in the book of Revelation, this lamb. But we're taught something so significant about the conquering nature of our God. Is the lamb laying down? Is the lamb dead? Is the lamb incapacitated? The text says the lamb is standing and is capable of holding that scroll. Slain, slaughtered, but standing and capable. It is the lamb who has the scroll. It is the lamb who can undo the scroll. And we learn through God and through Jesus Christ. And by the way, the metaphors now just start to collapse on one another. If you've seen God, you've seen it because of Jesus Christ. And if you saw what Jesus Christ did, this slaughtered slain lamb, then you know more about your God. And they both sit on the throne together sometimes. And, and, and all the metaphors start to collapse in towards each other. There is someone who can hold this scroll, and the way this person conquers is going to look different than everything you've seen on earth. You think you know about conquering? Conquering through destruction, conquering through taking, conquering through greed, conquering through destroying. There is a whole different kind of conquering with this king on this throne. This conquering lays its life down and bleeds. And as disciples of this Jesus Christ, it tells us what might be asked of us. For us who live now in these churches, conquering will look different. We will lay our lives down and bleed so that others can live just like Jesus. Can we grasp the upside down, the lion who is now the lamb? Could John and, and his hearers, do they understand what good news is in front of them? The lion is a lamb and a lamb is enough. Who's holding the scroll? The lamb is holding the scroll. 
Who knows how to read the scroll? The Lamb knows how to read. So where is the power? The power is there. And as I've just said, it is a power struggle like no other in Scripture. It's not new information in the book of Revelation. It is everything we already know just told in a new way. There is a power struggle in our world. And if you thought, dear Christians in Asia Minor, that the power was somehow here and you feel it oppress you, we just want to call your attention. There is a lamb standing on the throne and he's got the scroll. And the scroll is for you. From here on in the book of Revelation, it is worth noting that the Christians are never again referred to, the faithful are never again described as the wandering ones, the incapable ones, the messy ones, the sinful ones. From here on out in this revelation, we are described as those clothed in white. Somebody wants to say, So here you stand. The power is not on earth. The power is not in that emperor. The power is not within you. If you've been grabbing and hoarding and taking and and conquering, you need to look there because the power is there once and for all. It is the most significant part of the book of Revelation. And and when they take the scroll, chapter 5, verse 8, listen to what happens. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, a new song now. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased the people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God they will reign on this earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne, every living creature. And I'm going to pause. 10,000 upon 10,000, above and below and around, and everything that can be numbered is now present. They understand, standing on the throne, this metaphor of a lamb. John could have said Jesus Christ is on the throne, but he says it's a lamb. And they know the lamb, Passover, the lamb, the blood of the atonement, this lamb being led to the slaughter from Isaiah, the lamb on the cross crucified. Yes, we know who you're talking about. Thousands upon thousands, everyone now gathers around the throne. How many is that? We we received our 300th million inhabitant in America this week. On Tuesday, right? 7.46 a.m. The 300th million, they keep saying inhabitant. Not citizen, but person occupying space. 300 million, I listen to the reports, and depending upon which lens you see the story from, a reporter at the White Memorial Medical Center said, yes, we have all these women in labor and delivery this morning. The 300th million is going to happen here. And it'll be a Hispanic male, we can tell by our record keeping, because that's pretty much what we deliver here. But then the gentleman from NPR said, oh, the 300th million, the airplanes, Eastern time, a quarter to eight, the courts aren't open, probably won't be somebody sworn in. It'll probably, it's probably, they've got their own demographic. Who will be the 300th million? 
interesting conversation all week about the ethics of the personality of America, the, the ethics of an American, the identity, ethics identity, I think I read. What is an American 300 million people later? 300 million, what does that look like? How much space would they occupy here? Would you put them, you know, from the border all the way up to Canada and across? How much space? Imagine that and then multiply it to infinity. The text says every living creature is now present because they've recognized what is on the throne is this one who's been slain, this good news who now stands for them, and they can't help it. They sing a new song in a loud voice, verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And for those of you who complain about praise songs because it's the same words over and over, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise. Can you imagine yourself singing that forever and ever? Better get used to it. Forever and ever, this will be the song that comes out of our lips and he's not done. To him sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said what? Amen. Now finally we hear an amen, which means yes, we understand. Yes. And the picture is completely different than Laodicea last week who could say, we have need of nothing. We're okay on our own. Thanks. But now there is a group who says, we have need of that. We are in over our heads. We can't handle this. We are not okay on our own. We do have need of everything, and we see it right there. And this is exactly what Revelation is after. Churches where you are, wake up. It is a wake-up call to the churches to say, from chapter 11 now, the beast will be introduced. And in chapter 18, Babylon falls. And it is a call to all the churches that says, be sure you know where you're getting your security from. Be sure you understand there's a power struggle in your world. Be sure you understand the seduction that the world, how it pulls you in. Do you understand? Because in chapter 18, there will be weeping again, only this time. It'll be weeping for all those who chose Babylon. And what I believe God wants and what the revelator wants is for the churches to say, say, like everyone surrounding the throne, oh, we understand. We have need of you. We have need of you. When you understand that and the good news pierces you, guess what happens? You sing. You sing like you did this morning. You become a, a confessing church. That's what I want to be part of, a confessing church. A confessing church says, we have need of that. We're in over our heads. A confessing church is, is a humble church. It says, it isn't all about us. We need to understand our place in the spheres. A confessing church says, we will stand in concentric circles and hang on. You don't confess alone. We confess together. A confessing church won't be a splintering church, a fracturing church, where I've just come from in Australia. The worship wars are just amazing. Fracturing, splintering churches. A confessing church who knows they have need of that will say, it does not matter what our theological conversations do down here because we have to stand together. Oh, yes, it matters that we work things out. It matters that we talk, but we're not going to let our talk pull us apart. A confessing church stands together. 
I want to be that kind of a church. A confessing church sings like you sang this morning. Are you okay? I'm going to keep talking. Are you okay? A confessing church sings. I don't know. Did When that happens, that we lose our voice. You know how little children sing spontaneously? You know how they just blurt it out whenever and however? I remember when the girls were tiny and one was in the little swing screaming her head off and the other one would be out on the patio. I'd walk out there, two and a half years old, playing with rocks and things, singing, It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You just sing it over and over again while the baby's screaming and the phone's ringing. There's chaos in her world, so she's just out on the patio. I'm standing in the need of prayer. Didn't know any of the rest of the song. Just kept singing that over and over and over. When did we forget to sing? Our confessing lips are what acknowledge there is one on the throne who has the seal, the scroll, and we'll be okay. Where, where have our voices gone? We sing when we find ourselves in this world, almost there but not yet, but wanting to be. We sing. Last week at camp meeting when my final sermon was over and I pulled this crazy microphone off my ear, ten sermons later, I had heard story after story, and the people are really not much different than us. Tumors growing, a, a man who dropped a chainsaw on his body and severed it, a divorcing people. People have been excommunicated, so many like that, kicked out of their churches and, and more sickness and, and lots of divorce. And, and over and over and over and all week I had not been singing because they left my mic turned on. And I realized when I was singing that instead of hearing the praise team, I could hear me. It's probably not good, I thought. So I just didn't sing. But the minute this mic came off on Saturday night, I want to tell you, I began to sing. I don't think I sang so much out of oh, exhaustion, I'm done. I think I sang because... All week long I've been with the people and I know the world we live in. I know the junk we live with. And I had heard all of their stories. But all I could do was sing the song we'd been singing all week. And when in ransom glory at last your face I'll see. I'll sing with the angels of your great love for me. Oh marvelous, oh wonderful is my Savior's love for me. I sang it all night. I sang it at breakfast. I sang in the car to the airport. I sang on the airplane. I couldn't stop singing. Where does that come from? When the good news pierces you, when you understand you have need of that one standing on the throne, we sing. We sing our way through it. So the marchers with Martin Luther King, as the water hoses were on them and the children were being swept away with water and dogs, police dogs, they sang. So the, the, the people in Soweto in the villages there, as their children are dying and being carried off by police officers years ago, they sing. So Miriam sings, so Paul and Silas sing, so the Adventist Christians sing. Oh, to be a confessing church. The revelator is asking, just sing, would you?